Hi, everyone. This is Work Appropriate, and I'm your host, Anne Helen Peterson. If you work for the government or for a unionized job or for hourly wages, you don't just know how much money you make. Chances are high that you know what everyone else makes, particularly if you've taken the time to do a very quick Google. But a whole lot of people work jobs in places where compensation isn't transparent at all. In fact, it's actively obscured. Leaders and managers work implicitly and explicitly to communicate that you shouldn't talk with your coworkers about money. They argue that it's demoralizing or private or unfair to share what you make with your coworkers. But that is some straight-up manipulative workplace fuckery. And, you know, also illegal. And it only serves to protect the status quo in your workplace and your industry. That mindset keeps compensation deeply inequitable, even amongst people doing the same job at the same damn company. So for this week's episode about all things money and compensation, I knew I needed someone who preached the very righteous gospel of talking to anyone and everyone in your workplace, in your industry, even outside of your industry, about what they make. My name is Maya Lau, and I am the host, creator, and executive producer of a podcast called Other People's Pockets, which is a show where I ask people about how much money they make and how they feel about it and how they got there and kind of their history with money. And similar to me, you also have a whole journalistic career that kind of led up to this point. So can you tell me a little bit about that? I was a newspaper reporter for many years, almost a decade in traditional newspapers. I was an investigative reporter most recently at the LA Times. And I, you know, really loved it. Wouldn't change a thing of what I did. But I started to just get really curious about what life was like after traditional journalism and specifically around money. I mm-hmm. was really frustrated with sort of the the ceiling that there was in newspapers. And of course, I knew going into it, when I started in journalism, I knew that journalism is a sinking ship. I'm not going to make a lot of money in this. That was totally fine in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And as I got into my mid-30s, I had a kid. I was married. I started to want things that I didn't think I'd want before, like buying a house or, you know, basic life stuff. And I just started to really interrogate, like, wait, so with my skills, can I make a lot more money and be really happy too? And that started on this whole, like, year-plus-long personal reporting project where I would – you know, I'd be at my job at the LA Times, but of course it was during the pandemic, so we were working from home, and I'd be like doing calls with random people who'd left journalism and asking them, like, so what's the deal? Like, how did you leave? How did you feel about it? And most importantly, what are you being paid now? And almost universally, all of them were like, I'm so glad I left. Like, I felt really conflicted about it, but it's great on the other side. And I make so much more money now and or I have more freedom or whatever. So, yeah, I kind of morphed into this new thing um, right around that time. So around 2020 ish, I started working on this podcast in the sense of like planning it out and trying to see how it could happen. And then at some point, actually, it was in the beginning of 2022, I started my own company And I do 
financial-related research for clients. Um, and that is like my own company. But then I also have my podcast, Other People's Pockets, which I also make money off of. So yeah, I kind of just pivoted. And um, a lot of it was really around money and pay. I feel like there's something very radical in the United States about asking people how much they make. Does it still feel transgressive or does it just feel very normal and something that you want to normalize? It can feel both. I mean, I think that for my podcast, we we screen people ahead of time. We let them know that this is what we're going to be asking. And right. so there is a little bit of self-selectivity to that. If they're totally uncomfortable, then they're not even going to come on my show. Totally. But yeah, even for people that agreed to it, sometimes they only want to give a range of what they make or they want to talk about what they make, but they're not okay with talking about their net worth or they're okay talking about what they make but not what socioeconomic class they identify as. Like there's weird kind of things yeah. that people aren't okay with. And having been an investigative reporter, I have a bit of practice with asking transgressive questions. And I kind yeah. of, um, you learn to kind of like asking those questions that make people go, <gasps> but, you know, at the same time, I really also want this to be friendly and yeah. for them to open up and feel comfortable because I don't want it to be like, let's get in the hot seat and then afterward you feel really violated and then I'm going to like expose you. That's not really what I'm doing. So I think that things are changing. I think that the younger someone is, the more likely they might be to talk about how much they make. Totally. It's been cool, especially to talk to people that see themselves as as really open and really radical, like people who talk a lot about sex. Like I talked to this this person who has an open marriage and publicly has an open marriage. And, you know, you would think that is really uncomfortable. But she said it was me talking about her money that made her more uncomfortable. Huh. So, yeah, I, I think that there is kind of a, a movement toward talking about this more and it seeming a little bit less rude, but you are still poking the bear. What do you think generally about this understanding that I think is still widely held that if you do passion work in some capacity, that you should just be okay with being paid little, just generally? For me, what I really realized in my own experience was that dream jobs can be a trap. Yeah. And I had always thought like being an investigative reporter at a major American newspaper is the dream. Like that is what I want to be. I don't really know what's after that. Why would I want anything after that? And the problem with that is, I mean, it's, it is really great to go after your dream. And I think especially when you're young, it is important to go for it and be like not as concerned about money if that's not something you care as much about. Like, it's okay for your priorities to change over time. Mm -hmm. But I think that part of how the organization is paying you is in prestige and is in the sense of mission. And they're not necessarily doing it knowingly or they wouldn't admit to it, but um, they know that they're going to get a lot of applicants because there are a lot of people that, that want that prestige or that sense of mission. And so I, I just think it's important to know that the problem with having a passion-related job or a dream job is that it often really can disempower you from asking for more money because yeah. you feel so grateful. Yeah. You know, you just feel like you don't really – at some point in my career at least, like I don't want to always feel like 
great. I mean, of course, I'm very grateful for my life and and everything, but I don't want to feel like beholden to some like, I'm just so grateful to have this job. I don't want to ask for more money. I don't want to ask for more flexibility. I don't want to ask for my work responsibilities to, to change. Like, it can be actually really disempowering. And then you kind of don't know where to go from there because you've never thought about what you would ever want after your dream job. And I <laughs> right. felt that way too. I felt right. like part of why it was so hard to leave the LA Times or to even know that like at some point realize like I don't want to get to the New York Times. Yeah. Like I don't even want to work there. I would <laughs> fantasize about getting laid off. Like I would be like, it'd actually be great if I got laid off. A, because maybe I could get a um, severance, but also everyone would understand. And yeah. it, so I think that there's there's this sort of toxic relationship between passion, work, and pay. I interviewed Adam Davidson, the economics writer, podcaster for my show, but I was also listening to him on another podcast where he said that he worked at NPR and then the New York Times and then the New Yorker. So ostensibly, he went up in prestige in each of those jobs and he went down in pay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it just just shows like there's often this this inverse relationship yep. and you have to be really honest with yourself and careful about that. I'll say that you just unlocked something that I think we deal with a lot in questions to the show, which is that there are so many people who have no idea how to move on from a career. And I think mm-hmm. it, it's like you said, they had never imagined any pathway away from their dream job. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it was the pinnacle. And so once you reach the pinnacle and then you've been there a bit and you're like, oh, no. Right. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like a career crisis because there's no step away or up or down that seems viable. And that's what it's unimaginable. And the problem is, too, like I had a lot of people around me who were maybe older and maybe from a little bit of a different generation who would Like, you know, I do think that there's some people who are a generation above us who really do believe in the, like, you work a job for 40 years, you know, and they would talk about being a newspaper reporter as if it was so great. Like, they landed and, like, isn't it so great that we all get to do this for the rest of our lives? And so you're kind of influenced by this idea of, like, there's something wrong with me for not Mm. wanting to do this forever. And I will also say that the most important skill to have in your career in the workplace is adaptability and reinvent yourself ability. Like, it's not about being the best writer ever or being the best computer programmer ever or whatever. It's about surprising yourself and being like, you know what? I never thought I would be a you know, insert whatever job, but now I am. It's so crazy. Like I left my dream job and now I do this. And you have to have a little bit of delight. That's kind of how I feel now. Like I never thought I would do a podcast. I never thought I would have my own company. I had always said like, I actually really liked having bosses. Um, I liked having expectations and being part of a big team. And, and now it's like, I've jumped over this fence and I'm in this clearing and I'm running and I'm just like, I guess I get to do this now. Like, it's fun and I'm not and it's it's not for everyone and it, it also there's yeah. a lot of reasons why you know like for example my husband um has a full-time job in health insurance that covers the family right now and like yep. that is very important to say. I'm not saying everybody should just leave their jobs right now. Um but 
you know, it, it literally is like climbing up to the mountaintop. Like once you're there, like, guess what? There's nothing more up there. Now yeah. you're just looking for the next mountain. Right. This is a wonderful setup for our questions. So our <laughs> first question is from Megan, who's looking at her paycheck, her bills, the general economy, and the math just is not working out. I'm looking for some advice on asking for a raise outside of a promotion or merit increase. Our merit increases are fairly small at our company, only about 1% to 2% depending on your performance over the past year. This year, I'll most likely get in that 2% range based on reviews up until now, but I also turned 26 and will start needing to pay for my own health insurance. If I get this 2% increase, I'll pretty much be breaking even and making the same as I did last year. And that's assuming I don't get any more new expenses for things this year. Like a lot of people, inflation is really taking a toll on personal finances, and I'm hoping to start saving for some big personal goals over the next few years. A promotion is also out of the question at the moment. I feel slimy applying to other companies just to use a job offer as a bargaining tool for a promotion. Do you have any advice on how I could ask for more money or what strategy might be the best for me here? So I feel like here on the podcast, a lot of our questions about raises are actually also asking for recognition of performance and broader duties that they're performing. But this person is just like, no, I really I, I need more money. What advice would you give her at this point? So first, it's good to do a lot of research or what we journalists might call reporting on the the basics and like what the numbers should be. Yeah. A lot of women tend to ask other women at their company, what do you make or what should I ask for? And that's totally fine. Um, women tend to be more comfortable with other women. But it's what's really important is that you ask white men what they're getting paid. Yeah. So that could include white men at your company. It could include white men who've left your company and they might be easier to ask because they don't care. Like they don't even work there anymore. Um, Or, you know, finding white men on LinkedIn who work in your field and who seem to do a job similar to yours or who would know like what the wages would be. And you reach out to them and just like in reporting a story, you've got to talk to a lot of people. So... Ideally, you talk to, I don't know, at least five people. If you don't feel comfortable just saying, hi, what do you make? Um, (laughs) Which you can totally do. Um, But I would say something like this. Hey, you know, I am doing some personal research on my pay and, and what I should be paid at my job. And can I tell you what I make? And then you can tell me if that sounds correct, if that sounds in line with the rates that you're aware of, I'm not sure whether you're okay telling me what you make, but I, I just, it would be really helpful for me to make sure that I'm getting paid fairly. Yeah. And oftentimes they will say, oh, well, I'll just tell you what I make or what I made at the, when I was at your job or whatever. Yeah. It, it's just good to get that info. And I also just need to say that um, Glassdoor, you know, that website where you can look up companies and what other people supposedly make at those companies is often wildly inaccurate. Like, do not trust that. Do not Um, trust Glassdoor. (laughs) This is not the kind of research you can do online often. It really is like actual like talking to people. Mm -hmm. So that's important. And I think that that's important because the more you talk to people, the more you'll feel empowered to go ask for the raise because it won't feel like, oh, like, I'm just really out of my depth and, like, oh, can I, you know, ask for the... You'll feel like, no, look, I've talked to 10 people mm-hmm. and I know my shit. Yeah. I mean, I really think that it's okay to ask for a raise at any time, including before a year is up since your last raise. Like, I, I think it's fine, but 
I think if you want, you could um, do some research at your company first to see like, how does this company work in terms of budgets? Like sometimes mm-hmm. you want to ask at the beginning of the fiscal year or the end or I don't know, like you might do that just to know like strategically, oh, this is when they're going to feel like they have more money. And but this is when they're going to the company's going to feel tight. So um, but yeah, I think that you can say I have done my research on what my role should be paid and it should be X. And by the way, you should sprinkle in with like, and, you know, the thing is like, I really love working here and I'm really excited to come to work every day. And I hope that it's been clear from the quality of my work, you know, what I'm done. It it shouldn't be like a a negative, like I'm being underpaid. But then it's also the listener mentioned inflation. And I think it's also totally fair to say, and based on inflation, like just to keep up with basic cost of living, X percent increase is reasonable. And yeah. I think any company is looking at inflation and has been. Um, they're looking at, they're knowing that employees are going to ask for more. They know their vendors are going to ask for more. Like it's an open conversation. So I don't think it's weird to just be like, listen, this is the reality of the situation. Um, and again, tying in that the quality of your work, you know, merits an increase. And then in terms of like, I think she said like she feels slimy going out and finding other offers. No, I mean, <laughs> don't feel slimy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it like don't feel slimy. It is really annoying because yeah. it can take a long time and it takes a lot of energy away from your job. But I think that it is part of the game. I think it, it's something you have to just do. I think you can also bluff a little bit. Like I've had times where another job is interested in me and maybe we haven't gone through the whole process and I haven't gotten an offer, but I'll let my employer know like, hey, I was reached out to by this company and, you know, I'm talking to them and you can use that as well. And you can say, look, I don't want to spend a bunch of time. Like, do you want my energy to go to finding other work? Yeah. Like, right. I want to work here. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I still have not gotten a raise in X amount of time. And so I feel a little bit like forced to to go spend my time looking for another job. Like, is that, mm-hmm. you know, is that what you want? Like, I think that you could bring that up. But best of luck. It is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I think you know, that, that advice, though, to really seek out, to just know where you are in the larger band of people who are doing your job across you know, your industry is really, really useful. And I will say that I actually had an experience uh, at my previous employer where we had been banded and like, you know, you had these different names and the different names meant different things and like senior writer two or whatever. And both my partner and I had been promoted to a certain level but because he was my partner, I knew exactly what mm. he was making, and it was significantly more than I was. And so I was able Whoa. to bring that to my manager and be like, "Uh, he's making $10,000 more than me. How do we rectify that? Right? Because especially- What did your manager say? They did it. <laughs> yeah. They were like, you got us. <laughs> Yeah. But um and I and I also told peop other people at the organization about that story because you know the banding had been put in place as a means to protect against unionization efforts 
and against people, you know, trying to be more transparent with salary. So if that's the goal, then I mean, you can't have those sorts of discrepancies right. happening. And I think right. that the more that people do that within an organization, and again, not just people of the same gender or of the same race, like you have to be willing to share it with people who have different identities with you to try to increase that sort of equity. Yeah. Bring the receipts if you can, you know, yeah. like show yeah. evidence. Yeah. Um, and you can do that in a non-hostile way. Yeah. Like, receipts don't have to be hostile. <laughs> right. And I think it's good to maybe research who is the best person to ask. Like sometimes yeah. your manager is actually pretty low down the food chain. And when they go to ask their manager, it's just really easy to brush it off. But mm -hmm. if you go to the CEO or if you go to you know somebody who's in a more powerful position, um, you know, I, I feel like honestly, usually that's not considered going above someone's head in a bad way because like frankly again everyone's dynamics are different but frankly like your manager who might be lower down will be relieved that they don't have to deal with this like because they, they they probably don't control the budget so yeah. Yeah, um, yeah yeah making sure to strategize like who is the best person to go to who has cachet who does yeah. control the budget who's somebody who i can go to and get this done i think that that's also really important yeah Absolutely. So our next question is related to Megan's question. Let's hear from Ryan. In order to get a promotion in my workplace, I already have to be doing all the things I'd be expected to do in the new role. How do I push back against an expectation to do work entirely beyond my pay grade in order to get a raise? Do I have to threaten them with an external offer to get them to see my value before I check every box? So I just actually was talking with someone who is expected to do this right now mm. like their manager's manager said well if that person wants that role they should start doing that role and then we'll mm. see if they're a good fit for mm. it right and that's you know that can mean six months a year or more mm. of mm. uncompensated labor to just try out for the role what do you think of that <laughs> i definitely think that that's pretty fucked up um if you're in that situation and this is just where you find you find yourself right now and you need to deal with it, um, I think that it's always good to really think about: Does my boss actually know what I'm doing? Mm, yeah, because sometimes bosses, you know, they're managing lots of people. Like they don't really know what's going on. They yeah. don't really know what you do every day. Um, and the way that you measure productivity is very vague. So. I think it's kind of like you have to kind of make it your job not to give this person another job. But like in order to work smarter, not harder, you have to make sure your boss knows all the things you're doing. If you wanted, you could give them like a Friday memo that's like, I just want to let you know, here's all the things I did this week. Yeah. Or I have this folder in my emails that's just called nice emails. Or it's like a label that I can put on um, my emails in Gmail. Whenever I get a nice email, anything complimenting my work, anything like a nice tweet or like, you know, back when I was a reporter, like, I love this article, whatever. And I keep that and periodically or even when they come in, I, I would forward them to my boss and just say, look at this nice reader email I got. Yep. And it's not necessarily just about you. It's about the team. Like, yeah. look, we worked on this story together. Like, we got this nice email because they're not going to know that you got that unless you send it to them. Mm -hmm. And so just regularly kind of without being too cloying or annoying, like just making sure that they know how well you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then 
there's just strategies for keeping certain projects top of mind that are helpful to the boss, even if they're not really what you want to be doing. And again, this is all super annoying, but like, like in reporting, like you as the reporter always want to work on like the big, like fun, long-term project that's going to take months and months, but your boss kind of needs like regular stories that they can pop into the paper this weekend. So like you kind of, it's like cooking, like you kind of have to keep like something on the front burner so that like whenever your boss asks for that, you're like, oh, well, I actually have this other story I've been working on that will help you as you're working on the other stuff. Um, So kind of just like, you know, you always have to like serve up like something they want. Um, Mm -hmm. And then asking like so few people are ever asked like what would be helpful to you is there anything that like I can do in my work that would be helpful to you Mm -hmm. again I know that all this could be read as like you just have to like do even more yeah like slightly um, manipulate your manager but that is that's what this is is managing up right yeah it's managing up yeah and then hopefully you won't have to do that forever because that that is not just how it should be that like you always have to take on two jobs before you can even get a promotion or a raise. Like yeah. that is not how it should be. But if that is a situation you're in now, like those are just things I would be thinking about. Yeah. You know, the way that this person describes it, it really sounds like this is just like the status quo with the organization yeah. that like everyone expands their job before they get the job. Mm. And you can decide okay, I'm going to freaking suffer through this because either my manager is obstinate enough or the organization as a whole is obstinate enough that any way that I try to push back on this is going to go poorly for me. Mm-hmm. And then you manage up in interesting and compelling ways and you kind of yeah. just bear with it for a little while. And that perpetuates the status quo in ways that right. like sometimes people don't have the wherewithal to push against the status quo at a given point in time at their organization. And I get that. You could also think, okay, how can I try to say, to point this out, to point out in like a way that won't get me fired, that this is not a great way for us to do business in this organization. And I could say, you know, what about a trial period where I take on all of these responsibilities and am paid as if I have this promotion and in six months we reevaluate? Yes, exactly. There should be a reevaluation period. It shouldn't just be oh, I guess at some point, like for the past two years, I've been also doing this job. It should be, hey, we need to meet up and see how this is going. Yeah. And yeah. And again, that goes to like your manager might not keep track of those things. So you need to make sure that those get on the calendar. Yeah. Like you make an alarm (laughs) in your inbox. It's like, okay, it has been six months. And so I think either of those could be strategies. And again, so much of this is, you know, very contingent upon the type of organization that someone is working for. And especially like startups or young organizations, they don't really know what this like the status quo is still in flux. Mm -hmm. Right. Like a lot of things are just being thrown at the wall. A lot of times managers, like you said, are managing too many people, don't really know what they're doing. Maybe they want that relief of like, oh, yeah, let's do a six month probationary period and I can figure out how to get you paid a little bit more. Or maybe this is a very old organization where they're incredibly resistant to change and this Mm -hmm. is going to get you nowhere. So then Mm -hmm. you manage up. Right. Work Appropriate is brought to you by ZocDoc. Maybe you are trying to find a cause for your symptoms. Like this week, I was coughing so hard that I pulled a muscle in my chest. 
actually, I, I did this while recording a previous episode of Work Appropriate. And after I stopped recording, I went on Google and was looking all over like, is something wrong with me? Did I did I bruise my heart? It was just a pulled muscle. But this is just to prove that you can go down a whole rabbit hole on the internet of questionable advice from so-called experts. There are better ways to get the answers you want and the care you deserve from trusted professionals and not random people on the internet. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience that you want. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. Go to ZocDoc.com work and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash work. ZocDoc dot com slash work. Work Appropriate is brought to you by Smile Actives. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Popular food and drinks are known to stain teeth. Beverages like coffee and wine stain them over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. It's safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. 97% of Smile Actives users in a clinical trial reported up to six shades whiter on average all within 30 days. Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Well, before you visit a dentist, you should know that their whitening treatments can be very expensive, and it's not just the price. You also have to book the appointment and schedule time away from work or family to sit in a dentist's office chair while undergoing the procedure. It's a hassle. Fortunately, now you can try Smile Actives at home or anywhere, anytime. Smile Actives offer a safe and an affordable alternative to those expensive whitening procedures. Simply add Smile Actives Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste every time you brush your teeth. It's been formulated with PolyClean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves and crannies to get better whitening. So no change in your routine, no extra time, yet people will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com work to receive our special buy one, get one free offer with auto delivery and free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com work. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Our next question is the very definition of transparency. Candace wrote in with this, and our producer Melody is going to read it. My career thus far, approximately nine years, has been working at various nonprofits. I recently left one nonprofit job of three years at a wish-granting organization for kids with critical illness to take another nonprofit job as a social worker for adults with disabilities and elderly people. The main reason for leaving the previous job was burnout and low pay, about $40,000 a year. I now make $50,000 a year. I am a firm believer it is good for coworkers to discuss pay as it gives us employees more leverage in negotiations. I have only discussed pay at the new company with my mentor there as we seem very like-minded and it came up in one of our conversations. She took this job straight out of college and is being paid $42,000 a year. 
We are approaching review and raises time, and in a one-on-one meeting with my supervisor, I was told I am not allowed to discuss wages or raises with coworkers, as it is not a large nonprofit and, quote, budgets are tight, and, quote, we want everyone to feel equal. Not sure if everyone was told this as they are about to start determining raises, or if I was told because they somehow found out I discussed wages with my mentor and encouraged her to ask for more. Am I wrong to feel uncomfortable about being told I cannot discuss wages with my coworkers? Maya, what do you think? No, you are not wrong to feel weird about that. Um, So I should preface this by saying I am not a lawyer and this is not legal advice. But anyone can Google the National Labor Relations Act and right of employees to discuss wages. The National Labor Relations Act, so this is in the U.S., um, it protects the rights of employees to discuss their wages and working conditions, even if they have a confidentiality clause in their contract and even if they're not in a union. It also says their policies that specifically prohibit the discussion of wages are unlawful. So if I had been in that conversation or if if I were to be in that conversation again with that supervisor who says, you know, we don't we don't it's not okay to discuss wages here, I would just playfully say, isn't that illegal? Uh-huh. <laughs> and um you know, cuz you're not like mm-hmm. this is illegal. I'm going to bring a lawsuit, but you're you're just like putting them on the spot like isn't that illegal? Be interesting what they say. Like, oh, I don't they'll probably go look it up. They'll probably realize that they can't tell people that and that it is illegal. <laughs> um yeah. and yeah, I think that, you know, that this is a huge part of why I'm doing other people's pockets. It's it's a huge part of I think what needs to change, which is the secrecy around pay like who does it benefit? It benefits employers by and large. Yeah. It benefits them when people don't know what other people make and it's all just under the covers and we can all pretend that we're a family. And it's so interesting that the supervisor said, like, we want everyone to feel equal. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. Yeah. No, like, this to me is like classic nonprofit not yeah, doing the work to yeah. actually create equity, like especially since like. You know, this is the thing, not with this specific person's nonprofit, but so many of these nonprofits are like, we're dedicated to equity and social yeah. justice, and then we'll not we replicate the same problems right. that we are supposedly trying to eradicate. Yeah, I mean, right. it, yeah, it it's just total bullshit. And a lot of that is like ingrained in those cultures sometimes mm-hmm. of like, oh, well, this is just how it's always been. And, you know, I had to suffer through this and blah, like, yeah, I think that you should feel empowered to discuss this with your coworkers and any boss who who tells you you can't, you should, you know, playfully poke at them about how that's like, wh- where does it say that? Could you point me to the policy? Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Um, and yeah, I think the more we do talk about wages, the more likely it is that people can get paid more. Yeah. And I think like any pushback of like, this isn't nice to talk mm-hmm. about money, mm-hmm. like that is white bourgeois bullshit, right? That like it's yeah. somehow not nice to talk with other people. Or we're about a family. Like right. the whole yeah, like yeah. when we unionized the LA Times, like we got all this training on like the classic things that companies say to try to get workers to not unionize. And it's, well, but we're a family here. And Mm -hmm. like, we don't really need a union because we're already a family. And like, we just want everyone to sort of feel it's so that I I feel a lot of that in the whole like, we want everyone to feel equal. Mm -hmm. But like, if you're not equal, (laughs) then 
Um, you can't feel equal just because you have ignorance. And like, frankly, we're all very smart people who work here. And, you know, you you, you hire smart people, you're going to get people who ask questions. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would commend this, this question asker for her dedication to pay transparency. Ask her to push back if they say that again and keep telling people what she makes and, and keep encouraging her mentor too to push for more because she deserves it. Yes, absolutely. Our last question is about what to do after the transparency comes. This is from <laughs> Valerie. I'm the director of a research center at a public university. We're part of the university, but operate like our own organization and are fully grant funded. When I took the job, the organization was on desperate times and nearing extinction. The dean offered me a salary of over $100,000 to take the job. It's been the most stressful experience of my life, but we have stabilized a bit. As director, I've now seen everyone's salaries. I'm the only one making more than $70,000, and some employees are making thirty-five dollars to $40,000. Several folks have asked for raises, but there is not a dollar to spare in our budget. I'm considering taking a pay cut to support these raises. I don't know how to talk to my boss, the dean, about this. Is it a terrible career move to ask to lower my own salary? And I don't know that I'd be willing to do this job for less money. I think I might quit if I had to carry all of this stress for, say, $70,000. How do I live with the fact that I make way more money than everyone else on my team? Oh, my gosh. This this (laughs) question. This This is like, this question is just everything about nonprofits and higher ed all wrapped into one, right? Yes. Uh, Yes. And passion work. So I guess she helpfully broke it down into three questions for us. So let's we can kind of try to parse this. Is it a terrible career move to ask (laughs) to lower her salary? What do you think? Oh, gosh. Um... (laughs) My initial instinct is you should not lower your own salary. Same. Um, I could understand if maybe temporarily you did it and right. for just the express purpose of giving some of that money to people who desperately need a raise. Um, if I did that, I might make it public in some way or public within the organization. Yep. Like I wouldn't just be a martyr and then no one knows. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, and you wouldn't want it to just be permanent, like, oh, well, now I'm down to, um, I forget what she said. Um, like, she okay, was she thinking said, of, like, down to the 70K region. Down to 70, no, yeah. no, not down to 70. So she makes 108. So, like, I don't know, maybe go down to 100 or something, but not yeah. but not so low because you don't know, maybe that'll last forever, right? But that's even not going to add that much to the no, other people's it's not, salaries. No, it's not. And and I think that the big thing is this, like, the scarcity mentality or the, the scarcity reality. Um, you know, I think that this is a an issue of, so she says it's grant funded. Yeah. Like, I guess you need more grants. I mean, there, there needs to be a conversation with the dean or whoever's in charge about, like, Scope. The pie needs to grow bigger. This is yep. not, we can't keep just working with what we have. Yep. And so, yeah, I realize that that's harder than at, you know, a corporation where like, we can just try to make more money this year, you know. Nonprofits are this similar, like we we need to make a push, a development push this year. We need to ask for different kinds of grants from different kinds of people to make more money. Yeah. I've never been a manager and I've never been in that position where, like, I can see everyone's salaries and they can't see each other's. And, yeah, that would be really hard to feel like I have this knowledge and I go home every day knowing that I make so much more than my the people I work with. Um, I would just think, too, about, like, 
who else are you potentially shortchanging if mm-hmm. you take less salary? Right. Like That's yourself. Precedent right there. Yeah. Right. Like yourself, your kids, if you have them, um, you know, thinking about your retirement and how money compounds and like Mm -hmm. that is money that you're taking out of the pot now that might not seem like a lot but like that money compounded over however many decades is that's money for your kids education or for your own retirement for your own stability so I'm not saying just be totally selfish but just like there's there's a lot of different people that are affected by this um Man, I mean, it just it sounds like that really sucks. But there's got to be a way to get more creative about raising more money. I would say that like the thinking that somehow the work that this person is doing is not one hundred and seven thousand dollars a year work is mm-hmm. also devaluing right. her own labor, right? Yeah. Like, she because rescued she's the an organization from death. Right. And that is, like right. she said, like, it was the most stressful time mm-hmm. of my life. Like, all of that, that is wear on the body. Like, it is worth that amount of money. Just because other people aren't getting paid a fair wage doesn't mean that you aren't either. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think that pay rates are set. I'm not saying that they've been set fairly at this organization, but in general, like if you take on more responsibility and if your face is on something more and you've taken on actual risk or like, yeah, if if she's taken on the responsibility of writing this ship, like, yeah, yeah, that is why you're getting paid more. Right. Um, So don't feel bad about that. Yeah. I, my other advice, I think, and this is what is really hard to hear and something we talk about a lot with nonprofits, is that if you can't do your current scope of work and also pay people a living wage, which it sounds like thirty to $40,000, is depending on the city, is a difficult wage for mm-hmm. someone, especially if they're single, mm-hmm. right? That would be mm-hmm. a difficult wage for them to live on. So if you can't do the scope of work that you have and have as many people employed as you do... Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people say, let's keep doing the same amount of scope. Let's get, we'll lay one person off and then other people can get more money. But that means that there's more work, an unsustainable Mm -hmm. amount of work for the people that remain. So if more grant money is not possible, if you can't make the pie bigger for whatever reason, then I think you have to make the scope smaller and also think about a headcount and think about like, okay, if this is what we're going to do, how do we make this a good job? a well-paying job for more people. Right. And that might involve lowering the number of people on your team. But you also have to lower the scope if you do that at the same time. <laughs> so you're just telling fun. her to fire people. I, I mean, um, like, the, but also... Yeah, I mean, I think that there needs to be discussion about, like, something's not working here. Yes. This, this business is model is what not working. Yeah. So we need to rethink what we're doing here. Yeah. And, and that would, would require an organization within higher ed understanding themselves as a business which they very rarely do. (laughs) But that sort of reckoning is, I think, what's necessary here, not taking a pay cut on the part of this director who has essentially sacrificed herself for the last few years to right this ship, as you said. Right. I totally agree. But yeah, all (laughs) all of these scenarios are very difficult. And it's like, there's no easy solution. No. no. So I, I just, I feel for all these people, for sure. It's not like, oh, well, you just do step A and step B. Like, this is a, a screwed up situation that mm-hmm. a lot of people are in, and it's not their fault. And I think a lot of people just live with the feeling of, like, something's off here. I want more, or it's not fair. And they don't try to do something about it. They just live with that feeling of unease or guilt or lack. 
And one thing I hope that listening to your podcast and talking more today about it, too, just encourages people to talk more openly about these things that I think really keep people up at night. Yeah. And I think that that's also just why it's important to talk to people outside of your industry or like who maybe left your industry for more perspective, because I know within newspaper journalists, I'm sure it's true within the nonprofit world, there is this like men in the trenches thing. And it's like, okay, well, we're all in here suffering together. And we all, yeah, like we're all being screwed over. Like, yep. isn't that how life is? And it's like, ooh, that is not, those are not the people you should be talking to. Like, don't normalize that. Yep. Like, just do a check-in of like, when was the last time you talked to somebody maybe who's left or like somebody who who's never worked in your field about, is this normal? Like my chiropractor um, once said, like I came in, I was like, you know, what? I honestly feel really fine. Like, I don't really know why I'm coming in. You're probably going to tell me that I don't need to be here. And he adjusted me and he was like, you're extremely stiff. And I was like, that's so weird. I don't really feel that way. And he was like, I have people come in my office who are like hunched over, who like are totally messed up and they tell me that they feel fine. Right. And the body can get really used to pain. The body can really adapt to, to not doing well. Yes. And you feel like, oh, yeah, this is normal. And it's like, it's not normal. (laughs) So I think just, yeah, feeling more empowered to speak up and to have those outside inputs really helps, you know, so that you don't feel like you're like the one person here who, you know, wants more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, a couple episodes ago, we talked a lot about unions and how important it is to talk to other people at your organization about how you're feeling about things. But I think you're right, too, that sometimes those other people at the organization can be like, you know, they're also hunched over and they're also like, yeah. I'm fine. I feel no pain. And so sometimes the perspective of people who have either left your specific organization mm-hmm. or people who have left your industry can be incredibly valuable. And don't be or afraid who, to or send who a have never message. been in it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're like, what is this world? In yeah. Which you're like, this you, is like, not normal. Can't not normal. get an inflationary increase like That's not normal. Yeah. Not normal. (laughs) Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Yeah. So check out my podcast, Other People's Pockets, wherever you find podcasts. Um, I'm on Twitter at Maya Lau, M-A-Y-A-L-A-U, and on Instagram on It's Maya Money. And um, Yeah, and I'm around. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you've got a workplace quandary you need help figuring out, get in touch. Some episodes we're working on include issues around meeting culture and another My Industry is Broken edition, this time on nonprofits. You can find submission guidelines at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Twitter at Anne Helen or on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson. And you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producers are Kendra James and Sandy Gerard. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. 
Allison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. Join us next week for a very special edition of Work Appropriate, recorded live in Austin, Texas. (laughs) 